Time now for our Monday special, Next Man Up, with Dr. Ray Pritchard. Ray is a co-host of today's issues and president of Keep Believing Ministries. Now, here's Ray. Each year, we celebrate Memorial Day on the final Monday in May. The tradition started shortly after the Civil War in both the North and the South because people wanted to honor their loved ones who made the supreme sacrifice on the field of battle. Today, we honor all those who have died while serving their nation in some branch of the armed services. We thank God for those who have served and for those who serve today on the front lines of freedom around the world. I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes on the theme, Next Man Up, from Joshua 1. The story begins this way. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua 1, 1 and 2. That sounds like very bad news. Moses is dead. Moses, who confronted Pharaoh, called down the plagues, parted the Red Sea, met God on Mount Sinai, led the people through the wilderness. Moses is dead. What will we do? Who will lead us? We might as well go back to Egypt. Most of you have heard of John and Charles Wesley. John was the preacher who traveled across England and up and down the east coast of America. His brother Charles wrote over 9,000 hymns, including Hark the Herald Angels Sing. God used these two brothers to ignite a movement of gospel preaching and holy living that has lasted more than 250 years. In 1876, a monument was erected in their memory in Westminster Abbey in London. At the base are these words by Charles Wesley, quote, God buries his workmen, but carries on his work. That could be the theme of the opening verses of Joshua 1. God's workers die, but God's work goes on. Moses is dead. Hello, Joshua. Football coaches like to say, next man up. It means you have to be ready at all times. You may be a second teamer or a third teamer. You may be on the practice squad, but you never know when the man in front of you may go down. So it always has to be next man up because you never know when your name will be called. If a starter gets injured, it's next man up. Joshua was God's next man up. He is called the son of none. And we know he came from the tribe of Ephraim. In Hebrew, his name means Jehovah saves. He spent 40 years as Moses' number one assistant. He and Caleb were the two spies who brought back a good report when Moses sent out 12 spies at Kadesh Barnea. Since we know Caleb was 40 years old at that time, we can assume Joshua was the same age or perhaps a few years younger, which means that as this book opens, he must have been at least 65 years old. He might have been 70 or 75. I take from that the good news that God loves to use older men and women. Above everything else, Joshua was a soldier. He knew how to lead how to fight, and how to win. Moses walked with God in a way Joshua didn't, but Joshua won battles Moses could not fight. So now, the people of God face a big question. Moses is dead. 
what will happen now? Behind that question lies a bigger theological issue. Can God be trusted once our leaders are gone? We all face that question sooner or later. The pastor we loved is leaving our church. What will happen now? My husband of 51 years has died. What will happen now? I can recall a conversation from 30 years ago that took place shortly before I left Texas to pastor a church in Chicago. As a young man who grew up in the South, Chicago seemed like a foreign country to me. I remember visiting the church and feeling out of place. Chicago seemed too big, too old, too fast, and too crowded for me. I felt unequal to the task and fearful of what might happen. One day, my friend Michael Green took me out for lunch. He understood my uncertainty, and he knew I felt overwhelmed at the thought of moving to Chicago. I can still picture us standing in the parking lot chatting before we parted ways. He told me, Ray, don't worry about anything. You'll do fine in Chicago. Just go up there and preach the same gospel you've always preached. Be yourself, and things will work out fine. He ended with this exhortation. Remember, nothing that matters has changed. You have the same God, the same Bible, the same Jesus, and the same gospel. The surroundings may be different, but the message is the same. He closed by repeating his main point. Nothing that matters has changed. He was right, but it takes time to figure that out. After the death of Moses, the Jews must now discover the truth for themselves. Moses is dead, but nothing that matters has changed. Each generation must answer the same questions. Can we trust God in this new situation? Can we trust God when so much has changed? Can we trust God when our leaders have left us? Or, said another way, the God of Abraham the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, is he our God too? Now the Jews must find the answer to this question, the God of Moses, is he our God too? Christian young people must figure this out. Each generation must find the answer to the question, can we still trust God today? With that in mind, let's look at four steps to the future as they are revealed to us in the first few verses of Joshua 1. Step number one, let go of the past. Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River. Verse two, is it a bad thing that Moses is dead? No, he served God in his own generation. And when his work was done, God took him home. This is the normal order of things. No one lives forever. Some leaders must go so that others may arise. It's okay to miss the past. It's okay to remember the past. And we certainly ought to honor the past. But don't miss the future because you're living in the past. Some years ago, the Lord gave me a series of simple statements I call the first law of spiritual progress. I can't go back. I can't stay here. I must go forward. You can't go back to the past, not to relive the good times or to undo the mistakes you made. But you can't stay where you are either. But 
by God's grace, you can move forward one step at a time. Here's step number two. Get ready to move forward. This is also from Joshua 1 verse 2. Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. The following verses talk about the extent of the land God promised to his people. God never intended for his people to have just a tiny little toehold in the Middle East. He wanted them to build a nation that would stretch from the desert to Lebanon and then to the Euphrates and on to the Mediterranean Sea. God promised this vast area to them if they would only move out and take it. Quote, I will give you every place where you set your foot. That's verse 3. If they did not take possession of all that God had promised, and by the way, they didn't. You can read the rest of the book of Joshua, and you can see they took possession of a lot of the land, but not of all of it. Here's the point. And if they didn't take possession of all of it, it wouldn't be God's fault. He would give them as much as they could stand on. That's quite a promise and quite a challenge. For the moment, Let's just focus on what they had to do first. They must cross the Jordan River. Question, what's on the other side of the river? The promised land and the enemy. They crossed at a spot not far from Jericho with its enormous double walls, reminding them that they must fight to obtain all God had promised them. But this is not unusual. When Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthians, he offers this comment on the situation in Ephesus. He said, A great door for effective work is open to me, and there are many who oppose me. 1 Corinthians 16.9 That's always the case, isn't it? Opportunities and enemies often go together. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. put it this way, The door of opportunity swings on the hinges of opposition. Here is the message to God's people. You can stay where you are, but the action is somewhere else. You can stay where you are, but the miracles start at the Jordan River. You can stay where you are, but God is calling you to move forward. What God said to his people then, he says to us now, if we want to see God work, we must move forward by faith knowing that as we go through the open doors, adversaries await us. Will we have the courage to go forward anyway? Step number three, affirm the promise of God. This is Joshua 1 verse 5. God said, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I think when we read that verse, we probably focus on the promise of God's presence at the end. I will never leave you nor forsake you. But I think the most momentous part of that verse is the phrase before, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So as we think about this amazing promise, let's not overlook that one little phrase, as I was with Moses. Joshua knew all about Moses because he had been his right-hand man for many years. Moses stood before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. When Pharaoh said no, 
Moses said it again. Eventually, God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not show mercy. Then the plagues came down, boils and frogs and darkness and hail and water turned to blood. Pharaoh would still not relent. Finally, one terrible night, the death angel passed over the land, taking the life of every firstborn child in Egypt. Only those with the blood of a lamb on the doorpost were spared. Only then did Pharaoh grudgingly relent. When the people of God were trapped at the Red Sea, Moses stretched out his staff and the waters parted, so they walked across on dry ground. Later, Moses went up Mount Sinai to talk to the Lord face to face. He came down with the Ten Commandments written in stone by the finger of God. Miracle after miracle happened while Moses was alive. For 40 years, their shoes never wore out. They never ran out of food. They never lost a battle. Moses, what a man. Now he is dead. Will God be with Joshua as he was with Moses? The answer is yes. Why? Because God said, I will never leave you. What a wonderful promise that is. In early January, I had a bike accident that happened when I rode my bicycle over a patch of ice. About a week later, my friend Harry Balbeck called me after my first surgery to see how I was doing. He gave me a word of advice. Ray, don't say you had an accident. Christians don't have accidents. We only have incidents. What happened to you on the trail was an incident the Lord allowed in your life. And you know, really, that's just a shorthand version of Romans 8.28. As I thought about what Harry said, it cheered me up. The ice on the trail didn't happen randomly. Who was behind that? God. Now, who was dumb enough to ride his bike on the ice? Me. Look, I'll take responsibility for my part in it. But God knew what was going to happen that day. He allowed my bike wreck as part of his plan for my life. I have no doubt about that. Now, many of us know the antiphonal chant that is often done in church between the pastor and the congregation that goes like this. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Somewhere, I read that that chant started in the churches of Nigeria. Now, when I mentioned that in one of my sermon emails, I got a note the very next week from a lady in Lagos, Nigeria, who said, it's true. We do say that in our churches, but we add something. After we say that chant, everyone then says in unison, I am a witness. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And then everybody says, I am a witness. That's good. That's powerful. That's biblical. That's practical. Then I heard about a church that said it this way. God is good all the time in every situation, no matter what. So as I thought about it, I put it together this way. God is good all the time in every situation, no matter what. I am a witness. And that, my friends, is the deeper meaning 
of the promise God made to Joshua in verse 5. It's not a promise of an easy road. It's not a promise of unlimited victory. It's not a promise of no tears. After all, Joshua is a book of battles. Read the early chapters and you will discover they are filled with the sound of fighting. God is saying, you've got to fight for the land I am giving you, but I will go with you as you go. There is one final step, and here it is, step number four. Choose the hard road of obedience. Now, this principle comes from the very familiar words that are found in verses six through nine of Joshua 1. After God promises that he would be with Joshua and his people, he now tells Joshua what must happen in order for him to succeed. Quote, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, three times, God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. No doubt, Joshua felt overwhelmed at the prospect of taking Moses' place as the leader of God's people. Knowing his doubts, the Lord tells him, don't be afraid because I will be with you wherever you go. But there's a catch here. God's promise comes with a condition. Joshua and the people must be careful to obey all the law Moses had given them. For that generation, it primarily meant the book of Deuteronomy. In other words, pay attention to what is written in the book of Deuteronomy because I just gave that to you through Moses. For us today, it means the whole word of God. Now the commands are easy to read, they're easy to understand, but oh, what a challenge to put into practice. We must first know the word, verse seven. Second, we must talk about God's word, verse eight. Third, we must meditate on God's word, verse eight. Finally, we must obey God's word, also in verse eight. Know, talk about, meditate on, and obey. Verse seven actually spells it out this way. Be careful to obey. I suppose you could flip that around and say, unless we are careful to obey, we will find reasons not to obey. My friends, no one drifts into holiness by accident. No one becomes godly without personal effort. It's like saying, be careful to stay on your diet, because if you aren't careful, you'll ditch your diet the day you start it. That's human nature, isn't it? But this is not drudgery or a heavy burden. God promises success if the people will be careful to obey his word. Now, let's stand back from this story and ask ourselves, 
why God used Joshua in such a big way? Let me suggest three answers to that question. First, when Moses died, Joshua was ready because he had been preparing himself for years. For over 40 years, Joshua served as Moses' number one assistant. So when the moment came, he was ready. Number two, when God called him, Joshua had no master plan, only a determination to obey. I think that's a key point here. We tend to read the book of Joshua sort of from the back to the front and think that Joshua knew everything that was going to happen before it happened. No, he had no idea at this point in the story how those walls were ever going to come down around Jericho. All he knew was he was going to dare to obey God. Number three, when he ordered the people to move out, he had no advanced knowledge of the future, but he set out anyway. And that's a key point because Joshua had to live one day at a time the same as you and me. Joshua was a prepared man, a called man, and an obedient man. Mark Bailey, the president of Dallas Seminary, said, God often confirms his will after we obey, not before. Isn't that true for you and me today? God often confirms his will after we obey, not before. Did Joshua know how the walls of Jericho would come tumbling down? No, but he moved out anyway. What Joshua did, any of us can do if we are willing to trust God and step out in faith. Let's wrap this message up with three statements of 21st century application. First, when we let go of the past, we are free to pursue God's vision for the future. And some of us, I suppose today, are going to have to do that. Before we can move forward to all that God has for us, we're going to have to let go of the past. Number two, when we lead with courage, others will follow our example. Third, when we dare to trust and obey, miracles begin to happen. John Wayne said, courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. And Billy Graham added this, courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. Moses is dead, but God is alive. Hello, Joshua. Next man up. God's workers die, but God's work goes on. My friends, we are fighting a battle we cannot lose. The Lord is looking for some soldiers who will serve in his army. Will you be God's next man up? Let me close this message with a very personal appeal. There's never been a better day to become a Christian. Why not come to Christ now? Today is the day of salvation. If you believe Jesus is the Son of God, then run to the cross. Lay your sins on the Son of God. Believe that He died for you and that He rose again on the third day. Open your heart to Him. Pledge your allegiance to the Lamb who died for you. Trust Christ as your Savior. Then, no matter what the future holds, you will have nothing to fear. On this Memorial Day, we remember those who made the ultimate sacrifice in the service of our country. And we thank God for all who have served and are serving this country. May God protect the men and women 
who serve in our armed forces. Thank you for tuning in to American Family Radio. You've been listening to a Memorial Day special featuring Dr. Ray Pritchard, president of Keep Believing Ministries. You can learn more about Keep Believing Ministries at keepbelieving.com. This has been an American Family Radio special presentation. 